You're listening to the Geek Saga Podcast. This episode features audio from a discussion panel that was recorded at DragonCon 2023. Hello, everybody. Welcome. We're going to go ahead and get started here. So thank you all for coming to discuss The Princess and the Queen a discussion and Q&A about Allison and Rhaenyra from House of the Dragon. Um, my name is Rebecca and I'll be your moderator for today. By day, I am an eighth grade history teacher and by night I like to watch a lot of fantasy and read a lot of fantasy and just nerd out over those kinds of things. So I'll let um, everyone up here introduce themselves and then we'll get started. All right, um, I'm Jennifer Liang. I am the track director for High Fantasy here at DragonCon. Um, I like Game of Thrones a lot. I am also trained as a middle school social studies teacher, but that's not quite my job anymore. I'm, I've moved into like this semi-admin role of being an instructional coach at my school, but I still really like reading Wikipedia for fun. So <laughs> yes, it is a source of dopamine for me. Hi, my name is Tara. Uh, you can find me all over the web at A Geek Saga, and I am the founder and organizer of Ice and Fire Con, which was the first ever Game of Thrones Song of Ice and Fire convention in the U.S. We're on a little bit of a hiatus for 2024, but eventually we'll be back in some shape or form. Not sure exactly what yet. I also do a couple podcasts, the Sagas and Sass podcast, which is a genre lit podcast, and the Geek Saga podcast, which is very random. You can find panel recordings. Um, most recently, we've been doing a series on 90s teen movies so, and how bad they are. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nami. Uh, you can find me on most of the internet places at Nami Sparrow. You might still find some old vestiges of Necronami cosplay, in which you will find a version of me as a wee child also doing the cosplay thing, but I've been on the internet for probably way too long, considering my age. That being said, I am a cosplayer, I am a historical costumer as well, I do a lot of DEI work in both communities. I also am a member of the Sagas and Sass podcast with Terry here, I am unfortunately not a teacher, but I feel like that would be a pretty good career choice for myself, because I really love to talk. And I make a lot of jokes, so I feel like kids would enjoy that. I don't know. I definitely had another thought. This is going to be a pattern. That's all I got for now. Awesome. Well, it, this is listed as a Q&A, so I do really hope you guys have some um, thoughts and questions as well. There's a microphone in the middle of the room. Whenever you feel like you would join in on a conversation, have a question, please do. Just come up to the mic and I'll call on you, and hopefully that'll make our discussion a little more robust. So please um, come up if you have something you'd like to say. So... Let's start, and the first thing I'd like to talk about is maybe just our first impressions of Allison and Rhaenyra in the show before we get a little bit deeper how we first thought about them being represented on screen. I really, really loved the young versions of both characters. If I were going to pick a favorite, though, I would say I, I prefer young Rhaenyra over older Rhaenyra, but I prefer older Allison over young Allison. Earthquake, take cover. It's a raptor trying to open the door. Well, I guess in this case it would be a dragon. But I mean, because there's so little textual ins and outs about these characters in Fire and Blood, right? They're there, obviously. We know their history, but it's just a kind of dry-ish. I mean, I don't like to say it that way because I do like Fire and Blood, but it is a history book, essentially. So seeing these characters brought to life and 
seeing just how amazing of a job the actors did, but also the writers and the showrunners and how they were able to take a text that gave us so little and morph it into this and just again the actors were just amazing all around and i just i am always here for there being more song of ice and fire content mm -hmm. on television in movies maybe one day who knows but uh as long as it's done better than the last two seasons of game of thrones <laughs> yeah i think for me um a thing that really stood out was i had not really given much thought to these characters before. Cause like, I'm gonna be honest, when I read Fire and Blood, I read the first three chapters and then I was like, I don't really have the energy to do the slightly less dry soul Marillion right now. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna put this down and I don't know, start reading Stormlight Archives instead. And I did do that. And then in the meantime, they were like, oh, we're doing this on TV. And I was like, fine, I'll read the relevant chapters. Okay, fine. <laughs> and I was really, really excited in the show that they gave Allison a motivation that wasn't just and somebody brought this up at a different panel I was on yesterday, but it was like, she's not just like mustache twirling people. And I think of the book, the way like you get the dry history, it's very cut and dry that like, hey, uh, Allison's kind of being the worst in the books. And in the show, she's also still the worst, don't get me wrong. But she's the worst in the way that you can see everything that's happening to her and you can understand her motivations and her character beats in a way that makes a lot more sense and the decision to make her closer in age to Rhaenyra also gives her a lot more initial conflict to start with which makes her way more interesting and makes that dynamic way more interesting because I think that if we had gotten exactly what was in the book which was like you know like a seven-year age gap between them like they're not even in the same for girls at least in westerns they're not even in the same generation anymore and they're not able to have any sort of interaction and dynamic beyond the like weird like stepmother stepdaughter thing that we get and like guys we've seen cinderella like it's good but like we don't have to keep doing cinderella all the time <laughs> yeah i agree it's much more interesting to have them be childhood best friends and but the way it pans out rather than just oh she's my wicked stepmother kind of thing it is a much more interesting and rich relationship and it has better potential for drama um, you can definitely the fire and blood book is a history text as we mentioned and it is a history text written. Um, historians have a point of view when they're writing history. You want to be objective, but everyone always has a bias, even if you are, aren't aware of it. And definitely the, the bias of the historian writing Fire and Blood is that he wants the Targaryens to sound awesome because then they won't kill him. Um, and he also seems to be a little bit dismissive of women and their relationships. You can tell he's got a lot of like, ah, oh, look at this slut. Uh, when he's writing about some of the different women in the in the history of Westeros. It is definitely a richer text when they, they move it to the TV show because there are uh, multiple points of view that you can show. And also, I think the show has to make a decision and the text, the book, could present multiple options like, oh, this guy could have died this way or the rumors say he could have died this way. All we know is he burned to death in a fire. And some people say it could have been like a murder and some people say it was just a wacky accident. Well, the show had to make a decision and like actually present a choice as being the correct one. And I think that also adds to the richness because now you have like, oh yeah, for sure this happened.
Well, and that also ties into an out, like to the Allison sort of being the worst sort of thing because she said something um, almost in passing to Lyris Littlefooter. And uh, <laughs> so she said something almost in passing to him and he took that to mean, and, and granted he heard what he wanted to hear too because he wanted to oust his father and brother as well. But her reaction when he kind of he, he did the twirly mustachio thing, let's yeah. be real. He was like, wink, wink, look what I did. And she was like, I didn't want you to murder them. So that was kind of, as, as much as we say Allison is the worst, but we also, like Nami said, we get to see the motivations and, and realize, okay, maybe not the worst. There's a there's a lot. She's surrounded. She wasn't even in the worst person in Westeros panel last yeah, night. Yeah, she, so. didn't she didn't even make She did not make the cut. Yeah. Though that could be because of Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I do have to say, um, if Ed Sheeran worked to prevent Allison from, Allison from being on the worst person in Westeros list, I think Ed Sheeran in this case actually did some good Truth. work because <laughs> Allison is a piece of work, but she is not the worst. Yeah. Um, that goes to her father. She actually felt bad. It was yeah. what I was, is the TLDR of this ramble of mine. Sorry, you guys. I know it's like one o'clock, but it's still too early for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so she uh, she did feel bad. That is not what she wanted to happen. And so I think it's like, we can say she's the worst, but there's always someone worse, worse. And that was one of those moments where it's not just seeing the reasoning behind why she's doing the things she's doing and seeming so awful. It's also that when it comes down to it, no, she did not want this dude to burn alive her uh, stepdaughter's boyfriend, you know? Yeah, so. no, it, it's really funny because I think the show also pulls in a different POV, which is the point of view of Alice's naivete as like, and like Alice's naivete is like an entire other character in this show right now. Like Alice's innocence and the ways that people are manipulating her is just, Ooh, sweetie, but also like, ooh, it's a lot. I, I feel like that's actually the third character in this relationship. It is Allison, Rhaenyra, and Allison's innocence of just not believing her dad is doing anything wrong ever. I think that's the beauty of them aging Allison down is that you get to see her young and you get to see some of her struggles so that later when things take a turn you do have some of that empathy kind of built in to her character because you saw her young and vulnerable. So we have Allison's innocence and Alice's manipulation almost as characters, or at least as facets of her character. Continuing with her relationship with Laris, especially later on, what we see in episode nine, how he is manipulating her. Do you think that's more of a two-way street, or is it really just Laris has this power over her and he is in control? Or does her manipulation kind of also play into that? Unfortunately, the Lara situation is one in which I truly did view Allison fully as a victim because the way her father has treated her and conditioned her to exist in her role as a queen is, you know, she is an object and she is an object of power, but for the men around her. She doesn't have her own agency and I don't think she even knows that she can because of the way that her father has raised her and influenced her into believing what she's capable of. And the reason the Laris thing is such a problem, especially to her, and I think the reason she can't manipulate him back is because she feels that she has sinned by even drawing his attention in the first place. And so, you know, she has a lot of self-hatred in herself whenever she gets attention from men. And I think to her, she thinks she's the problem. And anybody here who knows, by the way, if a person is giving you unwanted advances, it is never your fault. That is just 
a statement of fact, but unfortunately the way Allison has been conditioned, and you can see it in the way she treats Rhaenyra and how she reacts to Rhaenyra who's getting male attention out of marriage, that she truly believes that it is her fault here, which is why she doesn't react by, you know, telling her father because she's in the wrong, you know? And like, if she had told Otto anything about that, like Otto would have stopped it in a second. He would have protected her there despite being the worst. But unfortunately I wish we could say that Allison had manipulation in there, but from the way she's depicted in the show, like in the book, probably, but show Allison and the way she is and her innocence, I think in that situation that she was fully being manipulated and just taken advantage of there. And Laris knew that predators like that know the victims they can go after and the ones that will be quiet. And I, that's why Laris targeted her because he knew he could play on her naivete and insecurities and like victim blaming mentality and take advantage of her despite her being in the power of a queen. Well, I mean, and it's kind of twofold because of, again, going back to the fact that he burned Harwin and I'm blanking on their dad's name, I'm sorry, alive essentially, or ha yeah, ha had them burned alive. Like, Laris also has that to use against Allison. So not only is she keeping quiet because of the way she was raised and, and treated and taught and I have one more short thing to say about that in a second, but like not only is she being quiet because of that, but he also is blackmailing her. So like, you better do what I want because like, yeah, sure, you didn't maybe say those exact words, but I did this for you. And so she feels guilt over the actions he took because of, in his words, you know, that she wasn't clear or whatever, but really he, he knew that's not what she meant. He just did what he wanted to do and is using her as a pawn in his scheme that way too. And also like, I, I do want to say like mentioning Otto and the way Allison was raised and everything. Listen, I am a Viserys the first stan after the show. Okay. My King, I love him. However, he also, he also treated Allison as nothing more than the toy by his side. She, she was there to make him feel better and produce his babies. Anytime she seemed to try to show initiative or whatever, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to the episode where Damon shows back up from killing the crab feeder and they're having that little garden party and Allison's like, oh, we got these great new tapestries. You should see them. And Viserys like makes fun of her. And it's one of the few moments where I was like, ew, gross, dude. And that's like on top of obviously this is his daughter's best friend and the age difference, et cetera, et cetera. But so not only did she, was she raised that way, but it continued in her life through Viserys. And anytime it seemed she had agency, he was also kind of there or her father was there or Laris was there to step forward and almost remind her, no, you don't. It's coming from all sides, and listen, I, I do not like Allison. I think she's kind of terrible, but I think that it's really important, and we haven't even touched on Rhaenyra yet, but it's really important to discuss the things that led to Allison being this way and making the decisions that she made rather than just being a bunch of woman haters. Well, and it feels like a lot of adult Allison's relationships are very transactional. It is about what she can give and what she can get, and it's mostly about what people can get from her. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so heartbreaking that her and Rhaenyra are not friends as adults because that was the one relationship she had that wasn't transactional. They were both mutually supportive of each other and then that gets taken away from her by circumstance and she's left with just a bunch of people who want to see what they can get out of her 
and you know if she's lucky and savvy she can get something in return but you know mostly it's just feet pics well here's the thing though that actually very directly brings me back to laris again because laris did something very um critical in the show which is he's the one who points out that ramira got moon tea delivered and he's the one who drives that wedge in there solidly and you know once again it's the actions of an abuser he is pushing her away from the one relationship that would have pulled her out of his influence. And by doing that, he isolates her fully in a way to be surrounded by people who would take advantage of her and who only want transactional relationships from her. So, you know, by Laris, like, sort of driving that final wedge, I think it was actually a really great move for the showrunners to have him be the one to do it because it fully drives in the motivations of Laris's character and puts him in this, like, oh, no, that dude sucks place, even if it wasn't obvious. I'm pretty sure that was obvious. Mm-hmm. Did you have another question or anything you wanted to add? Um, no, I actually, you kind of answered it, so thank you very much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for asking. You. I love your outfit. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I've watched the uh, House of Dragon three times now. I made up a year costume, and you know, we've got beating and hand sewing to do. What are you going to do but rewatch the seasons? Yeah. <laughs> so, speaking in, in terms of um, places where the writers took from the book and made it less ambiguous, the one that always jumps out at me, where I think they could have used more ambiguity, is Viserys' dying words and the way Alicent chooses to interpret that. I had expected, for some reason, that she would hear him talking. And then she would say something to, his, to her father, and Otto would be like, oh, that means Aegon's supposed to be the heir. That's what Viserys was saying. And, and Alicent would have been caught in the middle. But we don't have that moment. Instead, what we have is Alicent sitting by her side going, Aegon? Yeah, okay, our son, Aegon? Never hears him say, I want him to be king next. Rhaenyra is not my heir. He doesn't say that. What he says is stuff about the Song of Ice and Fire that she doesn't know about. Mm-hmm. And when she reports that to her father the next morning, it's he wants Aegon to be heir. And that's one of the few moments I feel like where Allison really chooses this aggressive stance against Rhaenyra, even knowing that her father will want to then kill Rhaenyra and her children. That was honestly one of the moments to me when her innocence really stuck out to me. Because we have the follow-up scene where she like goes into the room and they're like, all right, we're gonna kill everyone. And she's like, surprise Pikachu face. And <laughs> honestly, considering what's in Eamon's genes of being surprised at the consequences of his mom being surprised by the consequences of her actions, it's kind of like, you know, unsurprising that Eamon too was like, hey, play tag with a mosquito dragon. Um, oh no, what could have possibly happened? I don't understand how this could have gone wrong. And in that way, you know, I think Amond is very much like his mother. Sorry, I'm on an anti-Amond agenda. I love him deeply, but this is really funny to me. But I think that moment where like, she chooses that stance because I think in her mind, she is so, so convinced that they are on the side of right. Truly to her, like there's a reason she's holding like the faith of the seven so close to her. Like she genuinely thinks that they're in the right. She genuinely has been brainwashed at this point to believe that her father is good, Otto is doing this to save her, Rhaenyra is the one who will be aggressive with the throne, but if Aemon has a throne, they can pardon Rhaenyra and everything will be okay. Like, that is genuinely what she believes at this point, because I don't think she's seen the darker sides of her father's manipulations yet. And that moment where she's sitting in the throne room and her father's like, I we go martyr, and she goes, Daddy, did you just say the M word? <laughs> Daddy, we, Daddy, what do you mean you won't murder? That's bad. You told me that was bad. 
I think that was sort of the moment you see her innocence die in the show because unfortunately, the one stance or the one decision that she makes for herself is the one where she's like, yes, I am doing the ultimate good thing. I have been told that I need to do the good thing. And like, you know, when you are in such a narrow frame of mind at that moment, it makes sense that she hears her dying husband say her son's name and she's like, oh shit, Kate, Kate, right? Kate, Kate, all right, cool, I'm gonna run. I'm gonna, I'm gonna run with it. I do wanna say, I think the writers did a fantastic job yeah. because he's the audience know what he's talking about, but it's very clear how it could be misinterpreted by someone who doesn't know the problem. Exactly, exactly. And or who also wants reasonable. to hear, who also wants to hear exactly. that one's theory. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of she makes a reasonable me. logical leap based on the knowledge that she has and her background. She's almost sympathetic in that moment because you're like, yeah, okay, I see, I can see how you got there. Do you think this is a foreshadowing, that moment is a foreshadowing for season two of Allison becoming more the driving force behind the, the Green's power versus Otto? Because I think up to that point, it really is Otto doing the, the Game of Thrones, the king making. And I feel like she's kind of stepped into it, that and the, the moments where they're trying, who's in control of Aegon before the, the crowning, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of, what do you guys think? Is that season two, Allison coming out? I hope so. I hope so. I I would really love for season two Allison to be the type of person that's like, oh, I screwed the pooch time to try to unscrew it. Like you just said, she's taking that initiative already, right? She's taking that initiative by trying to, I hate to say it this way, but it is what it is, gain control of Baby Gone. So she's doing that with him. But also, like, even when in the uh, small council meeting, when they're like, about to just like pick up their their pitchforks and and torches and go murder Rhaenyra and she's like um no granted they do kind of push her around in that moment and everything but she's already starting to take that initiative and I don't I don't think they're gonna draw that back you know what I mean well looking forward to seeing you thank you thank you I'm hyped hi so my question um, has to do with you mentioned Allison and her naivete how much do you think plays into their relationship because she's, mm-hmm. I love her, no, mm-hmm. her, but she is pretty spoiled at the beginning of the show mm-hmm. and I think especially um, given the fact that she seems to really blame Allison for the fact that Allison marries Viserys when it's really mm-hmm. Viserys who makes every single decision with that happening. I'm really glad you asked that because one of the things I found so interesting between them is just the total misunderstanding I feel like on Rhaenyra's part of what it means to be a noblewoman but not the princess, not a Targaryen. And I, I think that makes it so much more interesting. And it gives me a lot of sympathy for Alicent because Rhaenyra in a sense is able to do more of what she wants. She can jump on her dragon and fly where she wants to. She wields more power. She's able to manipulate her dad a little bit more than Alicent is. And it's, to me, makes me feel really bad for Alicent. Even if you don't agree with everything she does, Rhaenyra just doesn't understand what it's like to be her and in that position. It's actually a really good point, especially because it's not even that Rhaenyra is a princess in this situation, because obviously you see that Helena and even Aegon as a prince has a lot less ability to just sort of do whatever, because it depends on the parent, right? And Viserys spoils the hell out of Rhaenyra. And the way Viserys parents Rhaenyra and the freedom that he allows her in the society reminds me of the way that Ned Stark parents Arya and the freedom he allows her. There's a reason Arya hates Sansa so much is because she doesn't understand why Sansa behaves the way she does to like correspond to society's expectations because Arya was never forced to do that. And the same thing comes to Rhaenyra here. Like her father has never made her follow society's expectations of her and she has not been sort of you know beaten down the way that women like Alicent are in this society for just trying to survive 
And because of that, Rhaenyra genuinely does not understand the limitations that women face here because she's never faced this. So she's like, oh, it's not real. Everybody has dads like mine and they can do whatever they want. So when Alicent does this thing, which is marry her dad, she's like, oh, that was my friend's choice. My friend made this choice to betray me and did this only on her own. They're both naive in very different ways, but Rhaenyra's naivete takes a sort of like spoiled, rich girl stance in that she does she's naive because she's been given the best situation and she doesn't understand she's been given the best and not the norm and even when Allison tries to caution Rhaenyra Rhaenyra's like oh like this is just how you are because you want to be this way not because this is the norm for others and that's the really heartbreaking thing because every single time you see Allison do something that Rhaenyra would hate Rhaenyra thinks that Allison has made this choice fully on her own and with full agency. And like, you know, hey, uh, Tara, if you decided to marry my dad, I'd be pretty pissed, man. Because I would be like, Tara, like, that was just a choice you made on your own. But like, also, like, that's not what's happening when Allison marries Viserys. And Rhaenyra never gets that. And the betrayal she sees at that moment just makes her kind of a worst to Allison. Just to, to make sure everybody understands that reference, Nami and I are best friends. <laughs> this isn't just two. Yeah. This isn't this isn't two strangers sitting on a panel and her throwing that out there. It's much more funny if you know the truth. But also, I think that Alicent doesn't get that Rhaenyra is a Targaryen, mm-hmm. and Absolutely. Targaryens Targaryens don't follow rules. Rules are for other people. Targaryens mm-hmm. are are different. They are special. They're touched by the gods or whatever. They're dragons. Rhaenyra knows that rules just don't apply to her in the same way that they apply to other people, and she just you know she doesn't always realize that is for you know other people have those con- constraints that she does not like. She's She's a dragon. She can do what she wants. So you guys mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I was just curious about what do you think about how Nira and Allison's relationship compares to Sansa and Arya's? Because I think there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn. Um, and I think it's really interesting that it presents one set as related by blood, but very much like rivals, you know, and they don't like each other and they clash a lot. Whereas you know, Allison and Rhaenyra start off the show, they're not from the same family, but they have this, and they're very different, like you guys were saying, but they have this connection where they can still have fun with each other and be, be friends. So I was curious about your thoughts on that. I'm going to be really honest, I don't think that I can answer this question just because the bond that I see between Allison and Rhaenyra has never been about sisters. It's always been in lesbians with each other. But yeah, I was going to say, I'm here for the sapphic uh, yeah. moments between the two of them, you guys. I mean, listen, she did say, let's fly away and eat cake for the rest of our lives, and I think we all know what that means. <laughs> I mean, I will say this, though, that if you're just talking about character comparisons, it's a little bit, it's almost like the opposite, right? Because Allison is the one who was raised to be a lady who entirely acts like that, like 99%. When she doesn't, it's like later in the show when she loses her temperature, her, temp, her temperature, her temper. Whereas Rhaenyra is the one who's the Arya, that the sort of, I, tomboy is probably not the right word, but she's also blessed in that right it's not because like Arya even though she did kind of whatever she wanted she was still judged by her mother Mm -hmm. and by her sister 
for being for being Arya, for being this tomboy running around in the woods wanting to you know shoot arrows with her brothers and not do needlework so it's almost like with the starks like i said sansa is the lady who is the blessed one Arya is the tomboy who's the you know black sheep of the family but in this case it's the opposite Rhaenyra is the do whatever I want even if it doesn't abide with my gender roles but nobody cares because I'm Rhaenyra Targaryen whereas on the other hand you have Alicent who does all the right things says all the right things and yet is kind of ostracized for it first by Rhaenyra for kind of let's be real being judgmental and that's on her that's on Alicent but I mean it's, it's never enough for anybody with Allison, I feel like. So I, I, I see there there are some comparisons to me made, but it, to be made with the two of, eh, with these two pairs of characters, but it's like in an opposite way, you know? Right, okay. Yeah, also the way that their relationships start, like, you know, Arya and Sansa start against each other and eventually become closer, and this mm -hmm. one is, you know, starting closer and eventually going further apart. So right. yeah, it's very much like in parallel, but like just, you know, flip it, reverse it. Uno reverse card, let's yeah. go. Yeah. Um, and then I also had a question just about both of their relationships with, specifically with Chris and Cole, who is also the worst. You know, because they both meet him at the tourney, and they both seem to be sort of interested in him at first. You know, not, I don't know exactly what that would be, but I was just curious about that. Yeah, there's nothing quite like the way that HBO decided the way to tell you that the absolute worst dude in the show is the absolute worst dude in the show by having him drop the C-word. Like, dang, way to go, HBO. Make it a choice. <laughs> yeah, if I can't have you, no one can, and you're a C-U-N-T. Okay, cool, I mean, cool, also, cool. like, you're not that special, Kristen Cole. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen Cole, why don't you give up all of the power of the world for me, and we could go eat cake? I didn't even ask you to eat cake in the first place. I like girls. I I just don't know how to tell you this. <laughs> Sorry, bisexual Rhaenyra is canon, okay? I stand by that. Um, you can't see my agenda at all here. <laughs> I think it's really fascinating too because it's one of those things that like, if Chris and Cole wasn't so entitled to Rhaenyra's time in the first place, he would have never been that terrible of a person. But like, I don't know, man, it was pretty wild. And I think the fact that Kristen and Allison then end up being BFFs, like, literally, like, their entire friendship is driven by their hatred of Rhaenyra at this point because they both feel so wronged by her, you know? And the worst part is that for Allison, I do get it. Like, she has been wronged by Rhaenyra at this point. And Kristen Cole is just put the crispy boy in the trash can. He, actually, no, you know what? Don't even put him in the trash can. The poor trash can doesn't deserve that. Put him next to the trash, and you can also take him out, because, no, I don't like this man. I will say, I will say, however, okay, so the one actual hatred point that I do have with the show adaptation is the, hello, my name is Christy Cole. I just, like, straight up committed a hate crime against the Lord's son, and nobody gives yeah, a shit, bye. Yeah. That was whack. That was know, whack. Like, you just, like, left and like, they were like, all right, go do your thing in the God's wood, I guess. And it was like, oh, that was weird. Yeah. I mean, actually, that was kind of Allison's first true manipulation was her going to him and being like, come to me now, let's be BFFs over our Rhaenyra hatred. So. Honestly, the worst part about that scene is that you can't even get an actual motivation for Allison on why she would save his life at that point. And I think that's the thing that also, like, in continuing that storyline angered me. 
Because Alice's whole thing is that she's such a holy person who like wants to do the right thing. And there's no way you could spin, hey, I just murdered a dude and now I feel bad about it. Like, I'm sorry, him feeling bad about it is not enough of a reason for her to save his life. And I hate that we don't get an examination of her motivation at that point to make it make sense because it doesn't. Why do you care about this dude? I mean, I think we've got 10 episodes, right? They can only cram so much in. You're right. It doesn't quite make sense. But Allison, at that point, she, if not knew outright, she absolutely had suspicions and very, very logical reasons for those suspicions that there was a connection between Sir Cole of House Law and uh, (laughs) and Rhaenyra that shouldn't have been there. So sorry, guys. I keep working in these nicknames that my friend and I came up with on our podcast because I just like want a reason to be able to say them again after almost a year. No, it's good. Keep going. (laughs) So yeah, I think that she... She went to him, well, well, you're right, you're totally right that it doesn't really seem like these motivations made all that much sense in terms of the narrative that the show had been telling so far. I think at that point she, I'm like 95% sure Allison knew or very logically suspected that there was an attachment between the two of them. And she, that's why I'm saying like that was her first moment oh, yeah. of manipulation. And, and like that absolutely makes sense, but like... Again, my frustration with that whole scene is that, like, it's the one moment where we sort of went, you know, season eight here, and it was just a show don't tell. Like, we want to know what those motivations are, because otherwise it doesn't make sense. You know, and I think they are very, very careful and clear in the rest of the show to give you these beats that show everyone's motivations clearly. And I think this was the one time where they dropped the ball, because in their after-the-episode thing, they were like, Game of Thrones weddings suck. We wanted this wedding to suck, too. And I'm like... That's a bad reason. <laughs> um, so I have one final question then. So given what we've, you guys have said about you know there being that lack of clarity, do you think going forward that that relationship will be re-examined that then maybe uh, Allison will push away Kristen Cole and challenge that relationship? Or do you think that he will continue to be by her side? I unfortunately think the time for that has passed. I I think any moment that they had where they would have tried to have that push would have been before the, like, full break. If that had happened, that would have been, like, you know, the night where, like, they toast each other and, like, Renira gives her the toast. Allison is like, oh, shit, that's the sis. Before she made the worst decision of her life. I think, you know, the time for that has passed. And, like, you know, she's solidly in it now. And, like, Kristen Cole is one of her few allies. She's naive. She's not stupid. Like, she knows that she needs Kristen at this point to keep her alive. Like, he is considered one of the best knights in the realm. And, like, she would be foolish to put it, push it aside at this point. Even though Kristen Cole deserves the garbage can. But he doesn't even deserve that. I think it's less likely that she would push him aside, honestly. I don't think it's going to happen. I'll be shocked if anything does. But... To Kristen Cole, Rhaenyra is the, she sullied herself. She's the sullied one, right? Because of what happened between the two of them. Whereas Allison is a symbol of purity. I think the only way there's going to be a break between them is if he finds out about something Allison is doing that breaks that picture of pure Allison in his mind. And maybe in this day and age, that sounds weird to y'all, but like as somebody who unfortunately came from a very religious background, men, especially in Christianity, like if you lose that guys of purity in their minds they will toss you out like two week old caesar salad so you know i i think that choose somebody else's used gum yeah exactly so like i think that if kristen cole finds out about like the foot stuff with littlefoot over here even if we all know that it is an abusive relationship that laris is propagating like 
if Kristen Cole finds out something like that, that's when a break is going to come, if it does at all. I think the chances of that are at best 30%, maybe 40. Yeah. And 40 is, I, that's actually, I think 30% at best, but that's, I think, the only way there's gonna be a break between the two of them. Come on down. Thank you guys for waiting patiently. Appreciate it, go ahead. I had a question about, um, sort of like if I could get you to talk about the differences between the parenting styles of Rhaenyra versus Allison, because Allison almost seems to hate Whereas Rhaenyra's mm -hmm. children are raised with like love and devotion and she doesn't put a lot of like stress on them to be the best at everything and be the best that they are. While Allison wants her kids to be like perfect. And do you think that that is maybe because Allison's kids were transactional in the way that she only had them because her father was putting pressure on her to produce a male heir? So I have, I'm so sorry, I have a lot of really sad thoughts about this, but the thing that strikes me the most about Allison is she is a child having children. And not only that, she is a child having children who has not had a mother. She has no idea how to parent them. All she knows is that she is supposed to have kids because that is the good thing to do, that is what a good woman does. And she is doing this because she thinks she's supposed to, and then her only example of how to parent is Otto, who is Mm, a bad example. And the way that she treats Aegon especially makes me assume that Otto was physically abusive with her. Because the only way she would be that physical and like slapping Aegon is because her only example of parenting did the same thing. So I think it is reasonable to say that Otto, you know, has slapped Allison multiple times when she hasn't behaved. And that's why she parents Aegon that way because that's the only example she has. She just knows that she's supposed to do this, and the only example she knows for how to do this is her father, who is shown to already be abusive, and we assume before Aegon that it's only, like, you know, through being neglectful or through being, you know, strict. But I think after Aegon, we get a more darker picture of how Allison was raised, and we can see that it probably was that way, because not only does she not have another example, it's also very unlikely that Rhaenyra has explained to her how kind her father is and how that is supposed to be the case. And I don't think that, again, like Viserys is neglectful to Allison. So again, I don't know that she even knows that in her mind that Viserys could be a different type of kinder father because she's seen how Otto is and then Viserys neglects her and she's like, oh, he must be the same. So this must be correct which is awful because every single time she was in a room with Aegon, I just like wanted to cry for him. <laughs> and I think, unfortunately, by the time she has other children, like she just is so tired. And then Helena just ends up being really quiet and always doing what she says, so she doesn't have to stress. And then by the time that Aemon is around, it's sort of just like, oh, this child worships the ground I walk on. Okay, cool, we're cool. We don't have to do anything, it's fine. And then Aegon, Show Egg is the worst after he becomes all rapey, but um, you really feel bad for him as a child because of how Allison does this. And you know, Rhaenyra, she only has the good parent example, and she has that loving example, so she gives that to her kids. And also, the very huge difference here is that Rhaenyra very much chooses to have these kids, because not only mm. is she not able to have kids with Lanyard because, well, you know, turkey basters don't exist, but <laughs> she also very, very explicitly makes the choice to have these kids with, with Arwen. And, because she's choosing these children in a way that Allison is never able to, I think Rhaenyra is able to approach the situation with a lot more love because it is her choice and it is her, you know, desire to have a child at that moment that like gets these children. And then, you know, her example of a father figure is a loving father figure, so she does the same for her children. And it's just 
it's very, very sad because I think, you know, coupled with the fact that how Allison clearly wanted children and coupled with the fact that like how she was raised, like you could see that she could have been a good mother if she didn't have so much fear in her because of what her father gave her. And I just, God, what if Allison's mom had lived y'all? Like, I don't know. I actually, I'm going to disagree with you on one point about that. I think that Allison only had children because it was expected of her. I don't know that she actually would have wanted them outside of that. And obviously this is, this is all opinion based, right? We don't know for sure. And I think that was, if that's the case, in my opinion, it's like, it's interesting that that would have been the choice that show made that again, Rhaenyra is the one you wouldn't think based on her actions as a child would want children. But clearly she does. Like you said, she makes the choice to have them. Also, Rhaenyra is so into her kids. So even though Harwin can't be their dad and Lenor is kind of an absentee father in a way, they're getting all of the love and nurturing that they need. Whereas Viserys, while he was probably a very good dad, if, if obviously spoiled her a little bit rotten with Rhaenyra, he, he's so old now. He's an absent father because of his age and his sickness, his illness. And I don't know, Allison strikes me as the person who only had kids because she was told that she that's what she had to do. She never would have had them otherwise. Like if she lived today, Allison is the is the me, you know, 40 years old and no children because screw that nonsense. But she had to have them and it would not shock me if she could hand in her two week notice and move to Essos and never have to see her children again. She probably would have done that. I think she would have taken Aemon with her before Aemon's war crimes. Yeah. <laughs> but... I also think you have to look at Alicent as just not understanding Targaryens. She's grown up mm. around Targaryens, she spent her entire life around Targaryens, she does not understand Targaryens, and she has Targaryen children. And so she doesn't understand how to parent a Targaryen kid, because Targaryens, as we know, you flip that coin and they're either brilliant or crazy, sometimes both, uh, and so she's got a bunch of brilliant, crazy kids and she has no idea what to do with them because they are, she just doesn't know. Like there's no handbook on how to raise a Targaryen. And Rhaenyra's parents were Targaryens and they came from a period of history where there was lots of Targaryens around. So you have lots of examples of parenting. You had lots of examples of how a functional family would work. So Rhaenyra has the benefit of coming from several generations of functional Targaryens. This is probably the last generation of functional tar- Targaryens, really. <laughs> but yeah, but Alicent just doesn't get it. She has no idea what to do with these kids. It's sort of alarming that you even would call this generation functional because... <laughs> Compared to what's coming. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, were they ever... Spoiler alert, some <laughs> yeah. of them are really weird. <laughs> I, do, I don't want to underestimate, too, the power of having a loving mother that Rhaenyra had, too. You know, we see her die horrifically at the beginning, but... Um, Rainier is a teenager by then, and you know her mother, in all accounts, otherwise seems very lovely. And the other thing I just wanted to mention briefly too is where they're being raised. Rhaenyra goes to Dragonstone, and while they're still royals, they kind of have their own area where they have the freedom to kind of do what they want. Whereas Alicent's raising her kids at court, with all the intrigue and the politics that court has, um, which definitely puts some pressure on things. You have to keep up appearances a little bit more, which is definitely going to affect um, how she's wanting to present her family to other people that are there at court with her. Well, and you also have the city of King's Landing, which is you know it's the literal representation of corruption. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing good in King's Landing. Like, you don't go to King's Landing to do nice things for nice people. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. not a place you want your kids roaming around. And 
Allison's kids grow up in King's Landing with all that it offers. Rhaenyra's kids grow up in a more isolated area where she can kind of control their influences better. And they do, they are just, just nicer people altogether. <laughs> yeah, just like the absolute like heartbreak that I felt like in the contrast with like how Rhaenyra behaves at Luke and like how she calls her like my sweet boy and like just all of that. And then like Alice's like fear mongering effectively at Aegon and how she slaps him and like just like the fear mongering that she gives him because of the fear mongering that her father is still giving her and just all of that. And God, can we just pour one out for Ama? Like dang. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think that's the reason that I can never join Tara on their Viserys hype train because of what he did to Ama. And I understand that everything else that he does is because he's like, oh dang, I screwed the pooch on that one. But it's like, hey, hey, have you considered that maybe taking the knife out in the first place was the wrong move, bud? Um, I don't know, man. I see a knife there and I'm already like, mm, maybe not. Listen, come to the four o'clock house of the dragon panel and I will go on and on about all my thoughts regarding that situation. So. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to be happy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hi, kind of springboarding off of the uh, children conversation and then also earlier on the power and naivety earlier. It feels like in Act One of the show, pre children, you've got the Valarians playing the game, you've got uh, Viserys playing the game, you've got Otto playing the game, and then you've got the Queen and the Princess kind of not playing the game. They're either being puppeted or they're pushing against puppet strings. But it almost feels like they start trying to play the game through their children almost in the second act. Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on kind of like how each of them tries to play the game for their children, either for themselves or selflessly? Kind of well, they're doing what their parents did to them. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's how the game is played. You have kids because you need more pieces for the board. And you know, you, you win by you know, having your descendants on the throne. So they're just doing what was done to them. Yeah, I also think it's very interesting that you say Viserys is playing the game because in my mind, I truly don't think he is. I think Viserys is playing a game and his game is playing with miniatures. And Viserys is also, <laughs> or playing, yeah. Yeah, Viserys is also <laughs> playing a secondary game, which is I'm in a fantasy realm and I need to be the fantasy protector and nobody else shall ever know that I shall do the solid protecting. I think Viserys is out here playing a fully different game and Viserys never read the rules for the Game of Thrones, which is why Viserys is getting screwed by Otto because Otto is playing the Game of Thrones, and Viserys is playing the game of, oh my god, White Walkers eventually at some point, maybe. Um, in the meantime, I'll play with my model trades and Warhammer 40k. That's what Viserys is doing. Viserys does not know the Game of Thrones is happening. Well, you could also say that Viserys is playing a longer game, because he's thinking multiple mm -hmm. generations yeah. ahead, and Otto is thinking, how can I get my grandson to be the next king? It's not really the same game at all. It is interesting, though, that Allison's kids seem to be more reluctant to get involved. Aegon is a reluctant king, at least how they depict him on the show. He doesn't want it at first. Whereas then you have Rhaenyra, whose kids are volunteering to do more, and she doesn't necessarily want them to, which I think is an interesting um, contrast there as well. Yeah, I think it's super fascinating because, like, I wonder, like, if Allison hadn't given a Aegon so much fear, if Aegon would have reached out to Rhaenyra and said, big sister, I don't want the throne, can we work together? Because that definitely seems more of his, you know, baseline personality as a child. And I think because of that fear, he never gets close to Rhaenyra. But, you know, in a way, it works out because Allison does get to crown him eventually. But it doesn't work out because this could have kept the peace. And, you know, that whole, like, again, it would have been gross. But the, you know, let's betroth betroth Rhaenyra and Aegon and they can both be on the throne. Like, I hate to say it, but that was actually a solution that would have worked, unfortunately, 
Renero would have probably definitely smothered him. Oh yeah, no. Um, <laughs> but you know, here's the thing: Aiden would have been happy with it. Like, <laughs> but I also think that you have to look at what the goals of what they were raising their kids for. Renero mm -hmm. is raising her kids to be servants of the realm. Yeah, uh, and Alicent right. is raising her kids to be the offspring of royalty. And one is looking at it as like, you've got all this privilege and, and you get to do anything you want because you're a Targaryen and you're a prince and you're the son of the king and whatnot. And Rhaenyra is looking at it as, you're gonna be in charge of this country someday. I need to raise you to be a, a good ruler, not necessarily yep. a good person, but you have to be thinking in terms of what's good for other people and like what is going to be the maximum benefit for people. Yeah, in that in that way, Rhaenyra is also, you know, she's playing the long game of Viserys. Like she's raising her kids to be the person that can, you know, like follow through with the Song of Ice and Fire. And Allison, I wouldn't even say that she's raising her kids to be royalty even. Like she might be trying to do that, but she's trying to raise her kids to be servants of the faith, not even servants of the realm. Because, you know, she is, when it comes down to it, she's a high tower from Old Town, and they are knee deep in the sept, and ugh, yikes. I don't see her really doing that with her kids, though. The kids don't really seem like they care about the faith. It oh, just, they don't care. Yeah, but, but it, <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I, that one's a miss. I get, well, like, Targaryens also, like, are not renowned for their piety, so. Well, I think, I think that's why she's struggling so much to parent them as well, because mm -hmm. she's, ra she's raising them to be servants of the faith like she has been. And they can't, they won't follow her agenda because they are servants of the realm and they're Targaryens and she doesn't know how to because you brought this up earlier and you're absolutely right like she doesn't know how to raise Targaryens and an intrinsic flaw in that is that she isn't trying to raise rulers she's trying to raise the type of ruler that Otto has told her should be ruling which is the type of ruler that respects the power of Old Town which Targaryens will never do because they don't and just real quick to kind of wrap this up I will just say one thing and that's that. Rhaenyra is the way she's raising her children she's raising her children with the idea that she is going to be queen when Viserys passes and that someday they will be rulers Allison on the other hand she is queen only in name Viserys is gone and her children are how she keeps her power there's also some differences in what they are teaching their children and how they're raising them because Rhaenyra is looking at it as I will be queen and I need you guys to also be the servants of the realm that I want to be. Whereas Allison is over here like, and maybe maybe not so much Allison, but more like good old Otto, the bug in her ear saying, you need to be able to rule through your children. We got about five minutes left. So maybe we can, with these people have been patiently waiting, let's see if we can get through their questions. I would say what I did yesterday was they get a question and the first panelist to answer it is the answer and let's then move that. on to the next right. question. <laughs> Go ahead. It worked great yesterday. So my question is, uh, I always thought that the main motivator for Allison uh, was not power. I always thought that it was a fear that Renata would eventually murder her and her children. So I don't know, uh, I wanted to get your opinions on how founded those fears were. All right, so I definitely agree. Her big motivation is her fear, but we know her fears aren't founded in anything because we're near a what it. It is. Fire and Blood and House of Dragon. Ah, uh, okay, okay. I will say, um, Fire and Blood, I think her fears could have been fully valid. We would never know. I think in Fire and Blood, it is 100% possible that Rhaenyra would have murdered her kids in that version, just because there is no nuance in there. However, in the show, it is clearly, you know, shown that Rhaenyra is compassionate and she wouldn't do that. If there's other reasons, like, you know, like maybe not a year into the into Rhaenyra's reign, but like, 
Five years. Oh, no, no, no. Once, once Luke is gone, Rhaenyra will kill them all. That's fine. At this point, I believe Rhaenyra is capable of anything. But before, before any actual conflict happened, the only conflict that exists is the one that Otto is feeding her. And I don't think, Otto also doesn't actually believe that. Otto, I truly don't think that he believes that. He is just pushing his agenda, and the way he pushes his agenda is by making Allison live in that fear. Cycles of abuse, y'all. <laughs> Well, this is a real quick question for the guy out there. The thought that came through my head during all this discussion is that it appears that Viserys is teaching his daughter not to be a lady because a lady can't rule Westeros in with that skill set. He has to teach her to be outside of the box, to be something else in order to rule the kingdom, especially given the controversy of his own ascension. What do you guys think about that? Yes. I think you're correct. Viserys is raising a ruler and not a daughter. Um, he is raising someone who's going to be the next Queen Regnant, the first Queen Regnant of Westeros. And so he is trying to, he's raising a ruler. Rhaenyra is not a marriage pawn to him. Uh, she's not someone that you know needs to decorate court. He is trying to raise an autonomous human who can make decisions mm -hmm. and make big decisions on behalf of a lot of people. Now, he does put some pressure on her to conform to a little bit more of society's expectations for women, but that's more of just like random misogyny than I don't think you're, that's just what's going to happen. Yeah, I would posit actually that I don't think Viserys even knows how to raise a daughter. I think he just knows how to raise a person. And at some point he was like, ah, oh, shit, a person I raise is going to be ruler. Okay, um, we're switching gears. This is going to be ruler trait. This is going to be ruler class now, not child class. Let's go. Next question. Thank you. Okay, so I want to go back to the uh, parenting styles of both women. I think it's also important to make note of the fact that the support systems are different. Viserys only married Alicent because he was required to produce an heir, he was being pressured to produce an heir. After he lost his wife, I don't think he was looking for another emotional connection. So you see that very clearly in the way that he is with Alicent. Like, she is there as a prop and as a, a, a baby producer, but you never see him really interact with those children because I don't think he's connected to them. And I think that also, trickles down into the way that Allison treats them. On the other hand, you have Nira, who is married to someone who can't give her children, but she has someone who can. And even though that situation is unconventional, she does have support from both. I mean, when she has her, her baby, Leonor takes the two boys and leaves her with Harwin and the baby so that Harwin can connect with that child. And you can see it very clearly. Lenore has a type of love for Rhaenyra. It may not be romantic, but he cares about her. Harwin and Rhaenyra, they were in love. You can see that from the way that they interacted with each other. And I think because she had that love and she had that support, she was also able to pass that down to her children. And then also you see her, her father interact with her children more than he does with his mm -hmm. own. And I think that has a lot to do also with the way that they both parent their children. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think you bring up a good point. Like I consider Lenor to be, Lenor and Rhaenyra to be like platonic soulmates. These are two people who have truly understood each other and have decided that they are going to stick by each other's side because the world, you know, is out to get both of them at this point and they're going to be each other's support. And unfortunately, you know, Lenor struggles a lot more in this than Rhaenyra does because he doesn't have any other support system he can rely on on this point because of the Chris Brat. 
the point that you bring up about the fairies and the way he treats the children is a great point because I think another thing that Allison probably had in her head was that as a good wife, if I produce good children, my husband will like me. The fact that Viserys continues to neglect the children and never even gives Allison respect of a mother after that colors her perception of the children because I think she also views the children as failing somehow because Viserys doesn't love them. And I think, you know, that also definitely like fuels the way that she treats Aegon so poorly because in her mind, if Aegon was better, Viserys would be prouder of Aegon and by extension prouder of her. God dang the series, you shouldn't have remarried. Also with the fact that, with that, there's this one point where he calls her Emma. Like, you think about, he has a wife, he has a living wife that has produced a male heir, and he doesn't love her, but he has a dead wife that has produced a male heir. I want to say one one very, very quick thing. Allison is a lighthouse keeper living all by herself with her father calling in the fog warnings, okay? And yes, this is a high tower reference to. <laughs> deep, deep cut, guys. Deep, deep cut. So keep that in mind because I think a lot of what Allison does, both in her relationships, if you can call them that, with other people that are very transactional, her relationships with her kids, etc., is because she's never had the love that you were just talking about. The, the love of a friend that Renee has in Lane or the love of a lover that she has in Harwin, the love of a father who did truly love her regardless of whatever his failings are. So Renee has seen love throughout her entire life, still has it now, and Allison really never did. Yeah, I, th I think the fascinating thing that the show has done has been really clear in our discussion here. And now we have spent a lot of time, the vast majority of the time, talking about Allison as a character, despite the fact that I'm sure the majority of people here overall hate Allison as a true wrong, which I think is very, very fascinating because that's a sign of good show writing. It's a sign of good character development. When you can look at the character and be like, yes, they are the problem, it's them. Um, Alex Taylor's book agenda, but um, you can look at that character and still have long discussions about them because the nuance that they're given and the motivations that they're given make enough sense to make them interesting and honestly tragic. And I believe that is the tragedy of this relationship as a whole and what ends up happening with these two. Well, I think that's a great way to end it. Thank you guys so much for coming. Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con.